Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Market report for Monday the 24th of June 2019. My daughter Molly's birthday. Happy birthday Molly. Feed barley. Old crop. 120x farm if you have any left. Let's not talk about that, though. We, we've dulled on about that. Um, new crop feed barley, 120x for harvest, 122x if it's not immediate movement that day, uh, i.e. waiting for a boat to turn up. That's been quite active recently. Uh, at the end of time, you'll look back on feed barley prices at that level and say, that's really good. And let's face it, you farmers have a bit of a history of ignoring that commodity until it gets to the moment you've cut it and then you think oh I better sell that and the price at harvest is always a bigger discount so just be aware we're running out of the moments before harvest uh, and it will soon be in your barn and in your way. Oilseed rape harvest is about 309-310 hasn't really moved much Uh, we're still friendly to that obviously there may be a bit of harvest pressure if someone can make up the uh, there aren't many boats and we can't move it, but I, I think there'll be plenty of people fighting for oilseed rape and I don't see a weakening in that market. Milling wheat we'll talk about, which is my very favourite subject, as you all know. Um, there is a bit of demand for that. There doesn't seem to be much class one milling wheat around. So if you do have any class one milling wheat left, wave the sample around. I think I don't think I'll dwell on prices. I'll just let you uh, go, oh, here it is. Feed wheat. Old crop is nearly dead. We've got uh, a diminishing market. It's very much glut for the tail end of June and early July when people aren't going to get their June contracts moved. That means that we will see um, people clearing their barns out ready for harvest, which is the normal behaviour. Because we're heading towards a later harvest, undoubtedly, uh, later than the last two years, we're going to have a bit of fun and excitement the last week of July and the first week of August, I think. I don't think we'll see wheat in earnest in Norfolk until about the 6th, 7th of uh, August. So I think it could be a little tight at that point. Um, the other thing is that, that new crop prices are the same as, if not slightly better, than the old crop prices so there's no pressure on people if they've got a decent storage and bearing in mind you've got low uh, you know uh, mycotoxin wheat from last year it was very dry when you cut it and it had very dry conditions to grow in and consequently uh, really good kilo weight really clean samples and we're heading into a harvest where there's a few fields bashed around that might become precious. Um, it might become something that you can blend or save yourself some kilo weight claims with or, or something like that. And as the downside of the market price, if you take the, the July value at 144 and you take the uh, November value at 145, I know there's three or four months in between the two and it's only a pound, but that's kind of like not much of a loss. And if you have that insurance policy having decent quality 
sample that might be worth a premium or might be worth um or might save you money with 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 blending um it's kind of taken the pressure off the downside on old crop wheat so i don't see that dropping any further unless new crop drops like a stone just to be a little pessimistic later harvest possibly slightly damper harvest you get shorter cutting days when the wheat comes through maybe it's bonanza year for the poor old grain storekeeper uh, maybe it'll just be sunny all the way through again but um, it's certainly this this last week there was there's been a couple of points when it looks like UK wheat's going to drop like a stone there's a, there's definitely a bumper harvest coming I'm afraid I could pretend there wasn't one and try and hold prices up but the reality is we all know there's a bigger harvest coming um, and that, that feels pretty bearish and I've got a lot of nerves out there on farm asking the question is this the moment and that's an impossible question to answer because you have a, um, yeah, Europe, it, France, Scandinavia, UK, big harvest, going to be right in our faces, very tough to export before we leave Europe. And it's, it's, it's going to be very, very, there'll be lots of it around and everyone not really having to try too hard to buy it. And in the meantime, you've got this world issue where the, the, the corn crop in the states is a is a major major issue this is a big incident the production of that crop is smaller than the latest usda and the weather is not being kind it's now knocking on to the soya production which which kind of has beneficial effects on the rape price um but but those are that it's such a big event that corn market is not going to drop like a stone there's going to be very volatile but it simply is not going to come under under immense pressure because the crop size is going to diminish as each crop report comes out and on top of that there are issues in other parts of the world that that the recent heat in eastern europe and across into russia yeah, there's lots of the wheat that's come through and it is still a big crop, but the crop size is diminishing. And each piece of bullish news could be just enough to keep this market fueled. So you have a, a very strong world market and a very weak UK market. And so the, the immaculate timing of when was the right moment to sell it was when we started our podcast last August, as we told you to sell it then just to get that one in but the reality is now from now on if you sold it and then you had a dr really dramatic corn price hike I'm afraid the prices that you sell at today will look bad so no one can actually second guess we do not know what the weather's going to do we do not know the answer to the dilemma should you sell it now or shouldn't you only you can look at your book only you can say it's above the cost of production my yields are bigger therefore my cost of production is lower i should be selling it and then take it on the chin if the market goes up afterwards but no one can answer the question about what happens next because contrary to popular belief nobody actually knows the answer to that question okay anyway with that happy thought uh, enjoy the thought of a bumper harvest and a nice wet one for the storekeepers and see you next week Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Dew and Grain are looking for a logistics coordinator to join the team. This is a permanent role with an immediate start. The role includes understanding the needs of both farmers and consumers, coordinating the movement of grain from farm to consumer in the most efficient way, working with the trading team to ensure grain is moved within contractual periods and analysing and reporting on the performance of grain movement. 
You will have customer service experience and be friendly and efficient both face-to-face and on the phone. Strong IT skills, particularly Excel, and the experience of the trading system, COBOL, would be an advantage. Good organisational skills and an enthusiasm and a willingness to try new things. To apply, please send an email to Tessa Dewing with a covering letter attaching your CV and details of your current salary to Tessa at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today, Ben and I have got Ben Bullen with us. Now, Ben works for David Bullen Limited, and you are... Tell me what you are. Well, I'm the son of David Bullen. He's... Um, that's a good start. That's a good start. <laughs> um, he started business about 30-odd years ago. We're a multidisciplined construction, building surveying, architectural design company. Basically do all sorts of different stuff, really, um, keeping ourselves out of mischief. Okay, so a thriving time for you recently, then? Very much so, yep. Yeah, it's... Um, Busier and busier and busier all the time. And do you see it? Market. Do you see it slowing down? With it? I mean, Brexit is the starting point for that one. I always think Norfolk has been in a bit of a funny bubble in terms of property. I mean, they always say that when farming is good, property is bad, and vice versa. But we have not seen a slowdown at all in terms of even from doing building surveys on people buying houses, but also certifying new builds. I mean, we're currently doing about two hundred and something over Norfolk and North Suffolk, and they just keep coming in. They're not they're not slowing down at all. Um, independent people right? yes yeah mixture of, of self-builds smaller developers not so much the the big boys as we call them that are doing the sort of three four five hundred house sites um they the maximum we generally certify is about 20 houses on a site um mm. averaging usually about 10 but um and they range from obviously bungalows to houses and all sorts of stuff but they um they, they just yeah not slowing down at all we keep on getting people in yeah i mean i guess ben one of the advantages for what you do and holiday lets in the norfolk bubble is that more people are looking to holiday within the UK, aren't they? Very much so, yeah. They are, we are doing quite a significant amount of new builds that are remaining in the ownership of the person developing them and using them as holiday lets and um, long-term tenancies, short-term tenancies, Airbnbs, all sorts of stuff that's going on. Um, it's quite a vast array of, um, of, of different projects, to be honest with you. You, you were talking about, a, a, before the mics were turned on, we had a little chat, didn't we, about yeah. a treehouse came up. Because <laughs> this is very, very, very important for Ben. Ah, Ben. Um, <laughs> did you build that treehouse? No, we didn't. No, no, that was... it was. So Airbnb, I read the book once about well, diversification in business and everything else. Airbnb are now worth more than Hilton, apparently, okay. for, their, for their project model. But their most lucrative accommodation that someone owns is a treehouse on the now, entire planet. I don't know actually where it is, to be honest with you. But it's, um, the idea behind it is quite a revelation, really, um, of what, <laughs> what you could actually achieve. Because obviously people... <laughs> don't mind renting all sorts of things if they want to have a holiday. It's something different, isn't it? Absolutely. You kind of want the tree to stay up. The, the, the reason... The reason yeah, I'm I don't think it's a, it's a shack. <laughs> I'm just going to move on to... Ben's just built a treehouse. Ben, can you just talk me through your treehouse? Yeah, my treehouse is, is pretty amazing. It's obviously for my two children, and it started off very small, and it's now got huge, and I'm now putting a summer house up there. You might need planning permission for that. You know that. <laughs> planning permission? What for the summer house? Depends how big it is. If it's a, some, someone, if if if, it is, if you're building a massive, massive treehouse, potentially it does need planning permission. But, oh, it's uh, not. What, what's massive, massive? Well, has it got two, three bedrooms? I don't know. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just got one summer house on the back. Oh, I see. And then I've got a zip line coming off the nice. front. Yeah, I could Airbnb that. How long before it falls down, Ben? That'll be when the tree falls down. What the weight of this treehouse you've built up there isn't going to pull the tree down? Isn't that isn't that bad? I've got bracing supports on it. Bracing supports? 
We use structural engineer to look at that. Do I need planners to look at that? <laughs> Probably not. No, I think you'll be all right. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. Is it wind and watertight? No. No, I think you'll be all right then. They're in post-crete. That'll be all right. Yeah, no, it's all right. I'm, not, I'm, I'm winding you up. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so going to fall down. Um, and I mean, that's a really fascinating, the, the building regs aspect to it. I mean, just talk me through that. You go onto a farm and, he, and, and the farmer's thinking you're going to turn everything he's got into houses and you see... I don't know, a copse of woods. How does it, what, what goes through your head? Possibilities of not just think about what's in front of you. I mean, in terms of tourism and everything else, I, I always see possibilities everywhere I look on a farm. I mean, I'm from a farming background. I love the countryside. Mm-hmm. There are lots of other people that love the countryside, but don't feel they have access very, well, there is open access, obviously, but not nearly as much as what they want. Even when we were just mentioning before, when you, you now you see farmers, a lot of farmers planting large headlands for wild seed, bird cover and that sort of stuff. Um, yes, they get some payments for that sort of thing, which I understand, it's fine. Um, but what's to stop you from opening them up to horse riders that are desperate to not ride on the, ride on the roads? Um, link it with your neighbouring farmer, get some sort of collaboration working between you so they've got actual paths to travel across. Um, all you have to do is set up really a car park, which might need highways permission to, to do that if, if necessary, but, um, you know, charge them three or four or five quid a day to park the horse box, and if you get 20 or 10 people there at the weekend, then it's a bit more money, isn't it? You know, but it all builds up, then you get a reputation for it. The cops... Um, why not do an Airbnb? People want to go glamping. You know, there's a market for that. People want to go wild camping, wild swimming. If you've got a river in your or near or nearby that um, needs access, um, but there's potential, I'm sure, everywhere that people should just look outside the box and think, "Oh yes, I've I've got a farm. I've got some buildings. Yes, we can convert them. That's not a problem at all." But why convert them to sell them? Why not convert them to Airbnb them or other other holiday lets or long-term tenancies? I mean, that is very successful as well. Some people would say that long-term is is easier and better because then you know you've got guaranteed income for six, ten months, whatever it is, the year, and they can just look after it as if it's their own house. Yeah, which which saves a lot of work. Yeah. And, and yeah, they're paying the council tax and, and, and yeah, you don't, a lot less thinking occurs. Exactly. But then with Airbnb, they also have backup staff that can actually manage it for you if you wanted to. If you had a number of them, you'd actually have this person that comes in as part of your agreement to... Um, I sound like I'm working for Airbnb now, but it's only because I've... I've I was we, about to say, yeah, the, your Airbnb comments, I mean, I've, I've had friends that have done Airbnb. I've, we've done them on holiday. Yeah. yeah. Well, as in, yeah, yeah. And, and they are very, very good, aren't they? Yeah. And you say that Airbnb now have people available to help you. Precisely. Yeah, they have they have regional area reps that look after such things and Crikey. make sure it's all clean and tidy and as it should be and protects you and protects them and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's all it's a massive industry now. It's yeah. huge. But then there's not just Airbnb. There's you know the whole glamping pods and things. That's quite popular. The whole yurt thing, potentially not as lucrative because it's only a summer months that are mostly usable. Um, yeah, but then you look say, at yeah. mod, the modern log cabin type situation. Yeah, I've got um, a friend that built a Mongolian gur on his farm. Nice. Uh, I he, don't actually know what that is, but I'm well, sure it's some sort well, of tent it's, type. It's a yurt. <laughs> okay. It's the same thing. Um, and uh, yeah, he built this 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Fantastic construction. You know, he, he got all the wood. He put a, a parachute over it. Yep. And then he just built an outside loo, put solar panels up, and he rents that out. And he does really well from it. Exactly. And you're think right about the, the summer people, but also in the winter people love it. It's amazing, isn't it? You just people. You don't. I don't think we we quite give the credit to people that what they actually want to do at any time of the year. Mm. Um, it, now people will camp 
any time of the year. And these experiences that people want, they want to be individual and not surrounded by another 20-odd people all doing the same thing. Um, if they want to do that, they'll go to a normal caravan site mm. or camping site. It's very much the wilderness, getting away, switching off, all that sort of stuff. Don't give them Wi-Fi, you know, <laughs> get yeah, them yeah. to turn it all off. Yeah, get um, a proper night's sleep and see the stars. Well, that's it, yeah. You know, stargazing lodges, we've, we've toyed with that idea as well. Yeah. Um, we're looking at that in more detail as Norfolk, well. Norfolk, very good for stars, is it not? Kessingland up top there, yeah. The, one of the darkest skies in Norfolk. So how do you get access to farmers? Because you've obviously, you know, you're, you're the guy they go to with their with the request about their barn is the first yeah. place, is it? Yeah, I guess ultimately. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's word of mouth mostly. Um, we we are pushing now toward more towards um, a bit more advertising, a bit more, a bit more profile, I think, more than anything. We're now having a new website made. We're embracing social media a little bit more. So that trying mean? to... <laughs> how do you embrace it? So you just have Facebook and go... Well, good, yeah, LinkedIn, read. Facebook, um, starting to actually put like saying, look, this is what we can do, this is what we do do. I mean, for me personally, my love is the sort of the whole visual CGI type stuff, so we do all of the super photorealistic bits and pieces and okay. make it all look really pretty and smart, which the panners love as well. That helps a lot, especially with bunker versions. Cause I mean, access to farmers is the key. Yeah. You, as I mentioned, we, we, you know, we doing grain diversified into property in uh, three or four years ago. We're nearly at the end of that project. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and and the USP we have is we have a, a large number of farmer customers as our key customers, mm-hmm. and we have a large amount of trust with those. And if somebody has a piece of development land, our thinking was, you know, instead of like going, oh, no, there goes another field that we can't buy the grain off, we thought, well, there's a diversification in the industry. So I'm sorry to give away my secrets, but here you go, grain trade. You've got access to the people who own the land. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, if you just let someone like... We won't say any names, but a big company comes in and puts some nameless, faceless product on there. They take take the land off you, pay you the money, and then they take control of the planning. Mm-hmm. As I've said all along, the village hates you. We always try and work with farmers and locals as well. Um, we, when a farmer does approach us, or someone who, with a larger, a larger plot of land that wants you know, eight, nine, maybe even ten houses on it um, in a small village, you're going to start getting the pitchforks pretty quickly if you don't work with the, the locals. Yeah, that's um, our argument. Yeah, You've got you've, to, to be really sympathetic. You, you're going to have envy because people know that yeah. means you've made a lot of money from that piece of land. But you can, you know, what we've done up at Munsley, we think... We took eight houses out of, yep. the, out of the project and made a green, and we've we've actually... If you like, I think we've enhanced that end of the village. We're getting compliments from the people who complained, yeah. saying we didn't realise you were going to do all these things. And for us, it's a showcase of, look, if you have a development, do it with someone who's going to have sympathy to how the village feels. Exactly, yeah. So we've, we've done that kind of a couple of times, in actual yeah. fact, that the site could have easily, easily taken maybe 20, even 25 houses. We put 10 on them. Um, yeah, exactly. and, no, that's great. I think we, we, we might be We opened it. Better, we op- opened it up at a huge, huge wooded... Um, landscaped area um with with footpaths through it um for dog walking and that sort of stuff and how about um, your green credentials how you know because from now on to, to my mind having now experienced that getting in, into building that there, there is a massive need for people to really change their attitude to energy yeah well definitely yeah exactly i mean and to be fair the, the building regs are getting harder and harder and harder to get through these days with traditional building methods which is mm. from our point of view quite difficult to get the old school traditional builders to rethink what they're doing in terms of construction mm. um, we use a lot of ICF type systems which is concrete I- ICF so in- insulated concrete core right. or formwork so it's basically insulation 
inside and out and you fill the middle with with concrete so you've got insulation on both inside and out okay. it's completely airtight and people look at it and go well I'm, i don't understand how to do that but then all the companies that are selling it they'll come and train you to use it um because they're so desperate for people to use it and we're desperate for people to use it um because it's brilliant to be honest with you and it's, mm. it's a lot quicker cheaper easier more energy efficient you don't need to keep chucking on solar panels on the roof which basically do not a lot other than tick a box um you know it's because uh, because now that the feed-in tariffs have all pretty much no, dried up there's, there's um, boxes to tick and people do the minimum and they oh yeah we've learned they... masses in what we've done it's very clear you know extinction rebellion rebellion is is uh, is something that's occurring yeah it's huge and we need to be aware of it so I'm, I'm, we, what we normally do in our chats is we open a beer up and have a little tasting session are you are you up for trying some of that Obviously. Well, I'm going to hand the, hand the mic to Ben while I crack open the beer and then... Uh, you this can... is something I wasn't expecting. Yeah, yes. well, it's, it's, a, it's one of the downsides of our <laughs> Right, what have we got? What have we got? We've got the Hopping Hair Pale Ale, and this is from the Badger, uh, which is Dorset Brewers. Okay, so, yeah. This looks good, nice and, nice and golden colour, and it's won a World Beer Award. So, Ben, that can't be bad. Here we go. Well, go on, Ben, you have a first sip and uh, give us your comments he's, sm- he's smelling it you know yeah. say. He's, he's a, a connoisseur a beer know. sommelier <laughs> yeah it's certainly very very light in color like you said mm. oh that's easy to drink <laughs> that's very nice to drink <laughs> that's very nice yes no i definitely like that i'm just thinking um, middle of the afternoon drinking two of them that should sort me out <laughs> yeah, the, the thing that we were thinking of about this podcast was getting the understanding break down the fear of being able to speak to someone like yourself and say what can I do have, let's have some ideas so you know so hopefully somebody out there may contact you you know and if they do then then great yeah, I'm very glad for welcome, you but... welcome to speak to anyone we'd happily go and do an appraisal on anything to be honest with you we'll happily come out and see yeah. you and great. and talk talk you over what could be done what what is a silly idea and what isn't a silly idea and and take it from there, to be honest with you. We're yep. happy, to, happy to look at anything. Yep, great. Well, I mean, so, I mean, the, the other thing that we do in this beer drinking bit is uh, we have a little chat about stuff. This is for Ian, really, who's, who's up in Scotland on a fishing trip this week. We've discovered that uh, Ben has been on a sausage cooking course. Yes, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> I have been on to Sausage Fest at the Assembly. This is a free plug for Richard Hughes here. Uh, at the Norfolk Assembly House, which was basically lots of men standing around a kitchen, drinking beer, cooking sausage products. Mm. So last night, I made a sausage casserole, scotch eggs, sausage roll, and a sausage plat. And I can honestly say that would be heaven for Webby, because as we know, he likes to eat sausages in between meals. (laughs) Do you think he would have been very grown up in the process? No, I think he would have been horrendous. I'm a bit upset you haven't brought any uh, samples in to go with the beer here. Uh, well, we did get to take things home. Oh, now he says it. Yeah, and I have got a book there for me. And they were delicious, by the way. Did he get recipe cards? Yeah, got recipe cards. So you're going to be recreating it then for all of the office, I'm sure. It, this man's good. I like this man. He's, <laughs> he's absolutely nailed you, isn't he? There is no samples for the rest of the crew to, oh. to actually have a critique, is there? Nothing. Kept it all for himself, and now you've nailed him. He's got to make a little special sausage. I reckon to go sausage plat. I mean, that's pretty much the, uh, sausage the, plat. The, the best thing, isn't it? Oh, I think the sausage roll was the best thing, but I will do a sausage plat for the office. How about that? You heard it here first. There you go. So, and a sausage roll and a scotch egg. And maybe I'll just bring some sausages in for Webby. <laughs> so, so, Ben, just thinking about this, if, you know, this is, this is uh, planner Ben, 
Architect mm-hmm. Ben, as opposed to Sausage Ben, <laughs> Chipolata Ben, um, <laughs> we, Wiener, Wiener Ben. <laughs> anyway, um, can you, <clears throat> when it comes to planning permission, with with you know, if you took a, a load of sausages into the planning committee, would that would that work? <laughs> For what? Trying try to bribe them with sausages? Yeah. Uh, don't think I've ever seen that done. To be honest with you, I probably you wouldn't. Go, mate. Yeah, have a have a sausage. I mean, so, so planning permission on farm. What loop hoops you have to jump through? How does it work? There is still a lot to jump through at the moment, and there always will be. It's going to get harder and harder, to be honest with you, with more and more surveys, which put a lot of people off. Especially if you're doing a barn conversion or something like that, then obviously you've got the ecology surveys, potentially flood risk assessments, um, heritage statements if you're near near a historical area, um, conservation zones, that sort of stuff. Archaeological stuff, yeah. Great crested newts. Yeah, ecological stuff, yeah. yeah. I mean, there is a lot of hoops to go through, and ultimately you have to work with what they find. You can't just fill in a pond and say oh there's nothing here which is which is which is fair enough isn't it yeah i mean ultimately and and more often than not we find that certainly the farmers they're happy to go down these hoops as long as we sort of get the get the answer they want at the end of the day in terms of planning generally um all councils at the moment having to go through a national process of reallocation of sites and establish what they've got available what can come up so you might have heard of the call for sites thing that's come through Mm -hmm. quite a lot in the last feels like forever now three four years it's still going as a process um and, and there's obviously some major towns have had some really there's some enormous developments yeah but and a lot of a lot of them have happened through not so much loopholes but they've they've sort of been in a lot of councils have been in situations whereby their so-called land banks have been low yeah. um, and as soon as that happens then national planning policy kicks in um and basically says if it's if it's near or looks like it's suitable then we'll accept it and go for it well there's an awfully um, large amount of building going on around holt around north Horsham yes and very much so yeah they all got through on that on the north norfolk side of things a few years ago when there was a a great big breach in in the land land bank it was less it should be up to seven years but it was much less than that they're looking at smaller villages you said yeah so every, and, and it's covering everything so they've had to they've finally accepted that small villages do need more development um, to make them sustainable, ultimately. Mm. Otherwise, they are just going to peter out and fail. And whilst they are still trying to concentrate on getting people to live in the larger settlements where there's services and everything else linked to them, um, they have got to accept that land needs to be put aside in in smaller areas, local villages, um, to make them sustainable and make them thrive, ultimately. Anyway, Ben, with that, I think we've come to the the point where we've run our time. So um, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you for the beer. That was a massive nice surprise. (laughs) And Ben, I think you you need to have that that, uh, treehouse inspected. Yeah, and I'll start cooking my sausage plat. You can bribe me with a sausage plat and then I'll make sure it's fine. (laughs) Well done. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 